So how many of you have been here for all four weeks so far of no matter what? Let me see your hands. That's a pretty good number. Three. Awesome. Today we are actually wrapping up, finally, this series called No Matter What. We spent four weeks. Today it's the fifth week. Um, we're just going to finish it off today. Um, it's been a good series, not so much because the preaching is the best in the world, but just, I mean, just really good truth from Scripture. So let me just see if I can kind of bring you up to speak, because it's possible that you're, you just walked in, you're like, great. So I'm here for the conclusion, and I've been here for none of it. So let me just catch you up real quickly with what we've talked about to this point. Week one, we talked about following the right person, bungee cord, us and Jesus. Um, week two, we talked about being full of the right power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Week three, we learned the importance of being focused on the right priorities. Last week, we dealt with fear, right? Last week, we talked about, apparently, we talked about all of my fears last week. I should, we should pass the mic around and let some of you be transparent as well because I've had a number of people this week who have volunteered to help me overcome fear. Thank you so much, jerks. Like, hey, I've got a horse. You want to go ride it? Not really. Let's go to Carowinds. You want to go to you want to go ride the Windseeker? Not really. It's 310 feet in the air. Are you crazy? That's just that's just stupid. Um, Phil, so, so what a great guy. Last week snuck up here and put a screensaver, uh, a wallpaper on my desktop of a mouse. I love that. Just. So many people so willing to help me overcome my fears. But we talked about overcoming our fears and that um, the, the best way to do that is to fuel the right passions. And the right passion is the gift of God in us, the grace of God. So we fuel that into passion. It helps us overcome fear. Um, it's, it's, if you've been here for the Sunday mornings, that's good. If you've been a part of community groups, you've probably gotten a bit more out of the series than everybody that just came on Sunday mornings because in community groups you kind of get to sit around Talk about them, ask questions, really chew on it, figure it out. Community groups are where you get to find out what other people are also afraid of so that you can help them overcome their fears as well, right? Um, but no matter how you've done it, whether you've been here on Sunday, whether you've been on Wednesday nights as well to community groups, my, my hope is that you've been encouraged that God is going to be with you no matter what. Doesn't matter what you face, doesn't matter what you hear, doesn't matter what you go through. We don't have to even think about quitting. It's not an option when we know who we stand with. When we know who matters most, we can stand no matter what. So today, we're going to deal with the final week, um, the last week at the top of your sheet. You can just fill this in. We're going to learn that when we fast, I love the fact that Isabella brought up fasting when we fast for the right purpose, God gives us vision and victory. We, we've noticed um, throughout the series, we've looked at different stories in the Bible, and we've seen over and over time, time and time again that the true overcomers in the Bible, they weren't surprised by hard times. Uh, they were kind of energized by them, like, kind of bring it on, right? Those kind of weird people. You know people like that? Like the hard times come, and we're like, ooh, that doesn't look fun. And they're just like, let me go. You know, they're energized by it. They knew that the trials were going to work for them. Second Corinthians 4.17, Paul said, I know that these momentary and light trials are working to achieve a far greater eternal glory. That's why we just jot some of these verses down. 
We've read um, strange verses. If you read the Bible at all, and, and let me just say this. If you're new to Christianity or you're not even sure if you're a Christian, but you're kind of starting to read the Bible for the first time in a long time, then you're going to come across verses that make you go, what? They said what? Here's a couple of them. And it's okay for you to kind of scratch your head at these because they don't make sense at first. You read strange verses like Romans 5, 3, where the Bible says that people rejoiced in suffering. Um, you read... 1 Peter 4.13, James 1.2, they said, I count it a joy to suffer. They said in Acts 5.41, the disciples said they were worthy to suffer. Lots of passages in the Bible actually make suffering sound like a good thing. And if we're honest, that doesn't make any sense to us at all. Because we don't typically think of suffering as a good thing. Do we? Okay, it's not just me. I don't really wake up in the morning. My, my prayer in the morning is not typical like this. Oh, God, today let me suffer. Right? It's like, God, today let me overcome. Let today be the day that I go to the mailbox and open up the front and pull out a letter that has a check that's made out to me personally for, you know, $58,000. Right? We don't, we don't typically go, oh, today, God, I hope that I can pull out my electric bill and find that it's three times what it normally is. Let me suffer like that for you, Jesus. We don't do that. We don't think of suffering as a good thing. We think of it as a bad thing. But I just listed three or four verses in the Bible that say that they counted it a joy to suffer. So when you're new to the Bible, sometimes we think, if I really love Jesus, I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm just going to be like, this is the best thing ever. But sometimes you read the Bible, it doesn't make any sense at all. It totally goes against how we live. It's crazy talk because of the comfort that we live in. But overcoming no matter what means that we have to fight through obstacles that keep us from overcoming. You can't live no matter what if you're not going to have a fight. You've got to fight through stuff to live no matter what. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about fasting. Um, we're going to talk about how it can help us personally, how it can help us corporately as a church. Um, and a lot of people, let's just get this out of the way, a lot of people fast, right? A lot of people fast. Um, you don't even have to be religious to go without food. You just have to be on a diet, right? People fast all the time. It has nothing to do with religion. Um, a lot of people don't experience it no matter what life. A lot of people fast, but they don't experience this, I'm going to overcome. They're just fasting to do, lose weight. They're fasting because they just, well, because they're in public school and the food in the cafeteria is terrible. I mean, whatever. They're just, I'm not going to eat. A lot of people fast, but this morning we want to talk about fasting for the right purpose. We're going to spend a lot of our time in Second Chronicles chapter 20. So you can go ahead and turn there. Um, again, if you're kind of new to the Bible, if you take a Bible and you kind of open it almost in the middle, you almost always end up in Psalms. Did you know that? Unless you have a really thick dictionary or concordance at the back. If you just got a regular Bible, open it to the middle, and you're almost always in Psalms. Five books back to the left is Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. So we're going to break this into three parts, okay? Uh, the problem, the solution, and the application. So let's, um, let's see what the problem was, and we'll see how fasting was part of the solution, and then we can make some observations that I think will help us even with the stuff that we face. So we're in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Number one is the problem. Let me give you the short answer, okay? 
the short answer, here's what the problem was. Jehoshaphat, what a great name. Don't you wish you'd been named Jehoshaphat? How many kids right now would say, please, can I change my name to Jehoshaphat? You would? Fantastic. Special prayer right here. <laughs> I just can't even imagine going to middle school with a name like Jehoshaphat. But anyway, Je Jehoshaphat's the king. He's the leader of Judah. And the basic deal here, the short answer to the problem is that they're under attack. Verse chapter 20, verse 1 says this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Muonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army. Everybody say vast. That means really big. A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. And it's already in Hazan Tamar. Translation, they're already really, really close. Okay, so that's the short answer, right? What's the problem in this chapter? The problem is that they're under attack. Here's the long answer. You have to deal with those first two words um, in chapter 20. It says, after this. So just to kind of see, what, here's the backstory to what's going on, why they're under attack. Just a quick look back at Jehoshaphat's life. Here's what we learned about him. Just jot some of these references down. Early on in his life, he was fully devoted to the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 6. The Bible says he was fully devoted to the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 3 says he did not worship false gods. That's good, right? Interactive table over here. That's good, right, to not worship false gods? Okay, I'm just making sure. I mean, that's something you got to get that point. Man, you got to get that one. You don't want to mess that up. You got to know, right? We'll see how the, it's good to not worship false gods, right? Smart side. Oh, let's just move on. All right. So he didn't worship false gods. It says in 17 verse 4 that he sought after and obeyed God. So he didn't just go to church and do what his mommy said to do. He actually sought God himself and then obeyed God. He purified the nation, 17.6. And it says that he sent men all over the nation to teach the book of the law in chapter 17, verse 9. So Jehoshaphat's the kind of guy who obviously he's trying to keep himself in order. He's trying to seek God. He's trying to obey God. But it's not enough for him just to obey God because he's the leader. He actually hired men and sent them all over Judah to teach other people what the book of the law had to say. So as a result, the Bible says that he was blessed with peace, chapter 17, verse 10. He was blessed with prosperity, chapter 17, 11, and he had power, 17, 12. According to chapter 18, verse 8, chapter 18, verse 1, he had wealth and he had honor. So it sounds pretty good so far, right? I mean, who, who signs up for this life? I do. Okay, I do. Seeking God, helping other people seek God. The wealth and honor, I'm liking that quite a bit. This is good. So according to that verse, chapter 18, verse 1, this is where he made his mistake. Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, chapter 18, verse 1, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Now he didn't marry Ahab because that would be weird. Somebody in his family married somebody in the family of Ahab. And so he kind of got this ally from somebody who had nothing to do with following God. It's not so much, I want you to get this, this is important for Americans, Christians in America. It's not so much that Jehoshaphat abandoned God, right? He didn't say, 
I'm done with you. I've given you all this stuff. You've given me wealth. You've given me prosperity. I'm actually, I'm, I'm healthy. But I'm just sick of this. I've, I'm done with church. What a waste of a Sunday morning. I could be on the lake. I'm going to just ditch all that. And I'm going to go and hang out with Ahab, who's a wicked man. And I'm just going to see what he has to say in my life. And just, He didn't do that. He didn't just turn away from God. He just added something to God. He said, I know that you've given me all this stuff, but I'm also going to go ahead and make friends with Ahab just to make sure I've got another ally, another source of strength. So he's not turning his back on God. He's just adding another source of strength. And all of chapter 18, we're not going to read it right now, all of chapter 18, basically, if you boil it all down, is a story of how Jehoshaphat tried to stay close to God even though he had made a choice to move a little bit away from God. And we can all relate to that. Every last one of us in this place, we can relate to that. Where we make a decision that moves us farther from God, and yet we try to stay close to God. Like, I'm pretty sure, God, I love you, but you'll be okay if I go do these things for just a month or two. And then you start to realize, man, this is having a really bad influence on me. These people, I don't know if I want to be in this place, but I, I kind of like them, but I still want to be near God. And we, this is, can't we relate to that? Back and forth. And so if somebody was watching your life, they would say, you're kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. You, one day you're nice, one day <laughs> not so much. And we would feel the same way. I, I just, who am I? And that's kind of where Jehoshaphat is. All of chapter 18, he's just going back and forth, trying to be near God and yet kind of have his cake and eat it too. I wanted to make sure you understand this. We're not talking about a jerk. We're not talking about somebody whose heart is hard. Jehoshaphat said, the Bible says he had a heart towards the things of God. Even in, in chapter 18, verse 6, he wanted to find a prophet of God who would speak truth. 19.3 this is a guy, again, who's going back and forth, trying to be with God, he's not, and he's trying to be with Ahab. In 19.3, it actually says, a prophet says, there is, however, some good in you. So it's not like he's a jerk, not like he's a bad guy. He's just a guy trying to be in two places at one time. So here's the prophecy against him. Chapter 19, Jehu the seer says, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Okay, let's just break down the biblical language. Because if you're new to Jesus or the church or the Bible, you're like, what's that mean? Basically, not good. Um, have you ever had somebody really, really mad at you? You ever had a boss chew you out? I, I don't know if I should admit this or not, but I've had bosses chew me out to the point that I was, I would, I was crying in their office. It's hard to pull off the man card, right, when you're crying in front of your, I mean, but like they're just chewing you out and they're all over you and you're like, I don't need, oh, you start crying. That, that, and that's not the wrath of God. That's just a mad boss. But the wrath, like if you have somebody walk up to you and say, thus says the Lord, the wrath of God is upon you, just know that's not good. It's not a good thing. So he hears this. The wrath of God is upon you. There is, however, some good in you because you've rid the land of Asheroth poles and have set your heart on seeking God. And what I want you to see is his response to that. So that's the word that Jehoshaphat gets. 
He goes to this awesome service. There's worship, interaction, these great lights. And somebody gets up and says, today we've got a special guest. He's a prophet. And if you want him to pray for you and give him a word for your life, give you a word for your life, just come on down to the front. And so he's the first one down there. Give me a word. And the word is wrath. But there's some good in you. And so the question is, how does he respond to that? And here's his response. Chapter 19, verse 4. He got back in touch with the people in order to help them get, get back in touch with God. He was like, I think I'm done over here. Let's get back to what matters the most. And he got back in touch with the people to help them get back in touch with God. Uh, he sought to establish justice. Chapter 19, verses 5 through 7. I love that. I love the fact that Isabella's here today. She's talking about one of, one of the social injustices that we see in the world. And Jehoshaphat hears this rebuke from God, and he's all about establishing justice in the world. And then he warned the country about sin, chapter 19, verse 10. And he encouraged them to live with courage, chapter 19, verse 11. So basically, he went back to doing everything right, and then he got blindsided with the attack. Y'all see the movie Blindside? Yeah, I mean, like if I'm Cam Newton... And I'm going back on Sundays. One, I'd be rich. And two, I'd have an awesome towel. Three, I'd have a great smile. And maybe some career as a singer and a rap star. I don't know. But if I'm going back, I want a big, I mean, I want a giant over here, right? Because nobody wants to get blindsided. I mean, I love it when the Panthers blindside opposing quarterbacks. I hate it when our quarterbacks get blindsided, especially when it was Jake DeLome. Because you just knew... The ball's going to be fumbled. You just knew nothing good's going to come of this blindside because he'd get popped in the back. Ball would he would actually throw the ball into the end zone and they would just pick it up for a touchdown. Blindsides are not good. I mean, are you getting this? These are like no-brainers. I want to make sure you get this. One, uh, you don't be worshiping false gods, right? And then two, blindsides are not good. And he's getting blindsided. He's doing everything right. He's like um, those of you. Let's just pick. Let's just pick. Um, Alcohol and partying, just for the fun of it. He's like those of us in here that would say, God, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't be going out and just like hanging out with my friends and, and drinking. I'm, I try not to get drunk, but every now and then I just have maybe one too many. And I, I know I shouldn't do it because I really do love you. And we're like trying to be with God. And we're over here. And it just doesn't work out right. And have, have you ever gotten to the place where you were just like, enough. I'm done. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to touch another beer. Maybe your deal is like cussing. I used to cuss like a sailor. So you're just like, I'm not going to cuss anymore. I mean, I'm not even going to say budge sickle. I'm done. And you try, and you do everything right, and everything goes wrong. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there in relationships when I tried to do the right thing and I was the one that was always reaching out to try to make things better. And it was like the minute I had a bad day, they were like, aha, you hadn't changed a bit. That's frustrating. When you're trying to do the right thing and things go wrong and all of us can relate to that. And that's where Jehoshaphat is. He has been doing wrong. He's asked God to forgive. He's trying to do the right thing. And when he finally starts to do it right, he gets blindsided with an attack. 
So it's probably not a big surprise to say that he never saw this coming, which is why verse 3 in chapter 20 starts with the word alarmed. Alarmed. Hey, Jehoshaphat, there's an enemy coming, and it's big, and they're really close. And he didn't go, yippee. He went, oh, crap. What do we do now? He was alarmed. He never saw it coming. That's the way most attacks are. That's why they're called blindsides. If you watch Survivor at all, and I'm, I like Survivor, and I'm a fan of the blind side on Survivor. I'm not a fan of the blind side in my life, but I like it on Survivor. It's like, this is com- I'll look at Wendy during a commercial break. Well, we don't have commercial breaks because we DVR everything. So while we're fast-forwarding, I'll look at Wendy and go, this is going to be a great tribal council. I love blindsides. But they never see them coming because they're called blindsides. We don't expect them. They surprise us. Even if we've done everything right, they still come. Listen, here's the deal. If you don't learn anything else from this series, I want you to learn this. Just jot down John 16:33. Phil read it earlier. If you don't learn anything else from this series, learn this. In this world, you will have trouble. Everybody say, duh. So don't be surprised, Jesus said. He said, I'm warning you. I'm telling you right now, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That alone is all we need to be able to stand no matter what we face. So Jehoshaphat and Judah have a problem. The problem is not just the attack. It's that they need two specific things. And we find out what those things are in chapter 20, verse 12. Jehoshaphat's praying. And here's how he wraps up the prayer. We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do. You ever been there? I need two things, God. I've got two problems. One, I can't win. Two, I'm an idiot. I don't know what to do. And that's what they needed. Two things. They needed vision and they needed victory. But he ends the prayer by saying, but our eyes are upon you. And that was the beginning of the solution. So here's the problem. The short answer is, the problem is that they're under attack. They're being blindsided. They had no clue about it. It was coming, but now they're in the middle of it and they're getting, they're getting blindsided and attacked. That's the problem. Here's the solution. The solution is that phrase, but our eyes are on you. Because they need vision, they need victory, but that's not the solution. The solution is our eyes are on you. Verse 3 says that he, in chapter 20, verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat called a fast for all of Judah. So this is his response. He's alarmed. Oh, my goodness, we're getting attacked. We're getting blindsided. What are we going to do? So he calls for a fast of all of Judah. And then verse 4 says that all of Judah came together to have a party. No, I didn't say that. They came together to seek God. They came together in one heart to seek after God. And that was the solution. Everything else that we read about that is just the result of that one decision. As a, as a country, as a king and as a country, they made the decision, I'm going to seek after God. Jehoshaphat decided to lead Judah into a fast for the right purpose. The right purpose is seeking God and literally to turn their hearts and faces and their lives towards Him. And when they did that, that's when God gave them vision. 
That's when God gave them victory, and that's what God will do for you and me individually. He'll do it for us corporately as a church. We're so convinced that God's calling us to a time of fasting as a church that we want to take, we're going to take the time and teach you what it means. Because, you know what, people, like we said earlier, people fast all the time, right, for all the wrong reasons. Some people fast because they sign up to go into the military. I, mean, I better lose a few pounds before I go in. They're going to kill me, right? And we fast for all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with Jesus. So we want to take some time. And so you know, next week, next week's the first Sunday in July. Um, Bethany's mom actually is going to be here speaking. I can't wait for that. And then after that, we're going to take four weeks. We're going to do a series called Beyond Hunger Games. And we're going to talk about what fasting really is. It's more than just hunger. It's more than just, we're going to talk about what the right way to fast, the wrong way to fast, how to do it, how not to do it. The right way is probably to fast from anything doing with Duke. I'm just seeing if you're listening. Seeing if you're listening. But for today, just for today, we're just going to take a peek at how God answered their need for vision and victory in Jehoshaphat and Judah through the fast. So here's where we go. Here's the prayer. Verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Verse 7, O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it and have built a sanctuary in it for your name, saying if calamity comes on us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Here's what I want you to get out of his prayer. He prayed mostly about what he knew, not what he didn't. And we do it the other way around. When we pray, we flip that around. We pray about all the stuff we don't know and very little about what we do know. He spent a lot of time praying about what he knew. God, I know, I know that you have power. I know that you're not freaking out. I know that you will overcome. I know that you gave us this land. I know, I know, I know. Oh, and by the way, I don't know what to do now, but I know all these things. And we typically come to God in prayer and say, Oh, God, how am I going to pay the bill? Oh, God, I need a job. Oh, God, I can't. God, how are you going to get my son? How are you going to get my, how's my father and all going to, how's my mom going to be? How are you going to work this out? Oh, God, is Alvaro ever going to get a Chick-fil-A? <laughs> we pray about all the things that we don't know. And then we throw in something like, um, but you're God. I just want to encourage you. Just learn a little bit from what Jehoshaphat did. He came to God and he started laying out all the things that he knew about God. That's key for us. Here's what Jehoshaphat knew. He knew that God was ruler over all the kingdoms and that he can't be stopped. Chapter 20, verse 6. He knew that God had given them the land that was now under attack. Chapter 20, verse 7. He knew that God would hear and save them. Chapter 20, verse 9. And look at verse 13 and see what happened while they were fasting. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. This is while they're fasting. Verse 14 says, The Spirit of the Lord came and spoke to Jehoshaphat. 
said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Verse 16, tomorrow march down against them. They will all be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. What a great name. Where do you live? I live on First Street near the pass of Ziz. Hmm, okay. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So they're fasting. The Spirit moves and speaks through a prophet, and the, he encouraged them about what they knew, the battle's God's. They already knew that because we read that in the prayer. And he instructed them about what they didn't know. And he gave them a vision, and here's what it was. God told them what to expect. I love that. It's like we talk about this a lot of times in, in sports. If you could get the playbook of your opposing team, and if you knew, like, okay, when they do the sweep out to the right, they're going to pull the guard around, and as soon as you see this sign, then you do this. I mean, you could win every game if you knew their playbook. And God's like, listen, I want you to go out there, and by the way, here's what they're going to be doing. They're going to be near the pass of Ziz. They're going to be actually climbing. You'll see them. And so don't you know when they went walking out later that day, the next morning, and they saw the exact same thing happen? You know what deja vu is, right? It's not, it's, it's like you, and he's like, I think I've seen this before. That's kind of what they experienced. And it just confirms, like, wait a second. That's what God was talking about. Yeah, this is going to happen. That's what God, he starts to encourage them about what, and he starts to instruct them. He says, I'm telling you what they're going to do. And they told them what they, he wanted them to do. He said, take up your positions. Underneath number two, the solution, just write down, take up your positions. Take up your positions. And here's the question that we have to ask. What's the correct position for us to take? Jehoshaphat said in verse 18, it says that Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. And then it says, that same verse, that all the people of Judah fell down and worshiped before the Lord. It says in 19 that the Levites praised. It says in verse 21 that Jehoshaphat appointed worshipers to go out before the army. Worship first. Worship first. So here, we're talking about no matter what, right? And we talked about this in one of the weeks, that we, we think of that as being stubborn, right? Well, I'm going to win no matter what. A lot of people parent like that. It's, it's kind of our default parenting skill, right? And I've done it before. I mean, I look at my children and say, I'm bigger. You want to go? We can go. I'm going to win no matter what. This is, this is our no matter what position right here. Sometimes, y'all, the, the ladies do it like this. Sometimes you got to get that little head going. I'm not a big fan of the head. I honestly don't like it. I want to slap that head. You know, <laughs> that's bad. I know it's like this. There's a, there's a commercial that's on TV all the time. And it's like got this. And she's just like doing this slow motion head. I just want to reach and punch. I just, I can't. It's just, ugh. But that's our position. When we think no matter what, oh, I'm taking up my position. <laughs> Come on. But what was the position that God told him to take up? It was a position of surrender. 
That was the position. Not to the enemy, right? I mean, that would have kind of been stupid. Here I am. Take me. <laughs> no. But to him. And so that's why it says Jehoshaphat, immediately he bows low. Immediately the people fall down and worship. Immediately he sends out Levites to praise. Immediately he says, ah, I got an idea. Let's send the worshipers out first. If you've ever read the story of Jericho, that's what they did there too. They did this all the time. The position was a position of surrender to God. And then he gave them a victory. As they took up that position, look what happened in verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Which is the cool verse, right? But the best ones are the ones that explain how they were defeated. Verse 23, the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. So basically, here's what happened. There's three groups of people that came together to go fight Jehoshaphat. Three verses one. Vast army, dude, this army is huge, and they're next door. They're ready to fight now. Oh, God, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? I know. Let's call a fast. And if we fast for the right purpose, then he'll give us vision and victory. So we're fasting. We're fasting. Oh, the battle's not the Lord's. I mean, the battle's Lord's. It's not ours. But he told us anyway, go take up a position. So we're going to take up a position, and here's our position. And while they're doing that, somebody opens their eye and looks down and goes, dude, you've got to come see this. Look. Like, weren't there three groups together? Yeah. Because it, does it look like they're fighting each other? God, these guys are idiots. Look at that. Like, it's two against one. And then after those two beat the one, those two fought each other. And by the time they got... They were still praising. I mean, they're still having like this worship service. And while they're having a worship service, the entire enemy wipes themselves out. I don't know about you, but I'm loving that. I mean, not the whole death and destruction thing, but like the deliverance and the victory. That's amazing. And how did that happen? Because they decided to take up a position of surrender to God. So you know what? We're going to fast. You know why we're going to fast? Because fasting is part of surrendering to God. There's lots of reasons to fast, lots of ways to fast, but there's only one real purpose for a fast, and it is to take up a position of surrender to God. I don't need this food as much as I need you. I don't need media as much as I need your voice to speak into my life. While they fasted, while they praised, while they surrendered to God, they saw their enemies destroy themselves. Verse 25 says that it resulted in so much plunder, they couldn't even carry it all away. And then it says that it took three days to collect it. Any of you guys yard sale? Do we have any yard sailors? Go ahead. Be, be proud. Are you a yard sailor? I mean, you know what a bad yard sale is, right? Like, God, there ain't nothing here but checkers and sorry games. <laughs> but have you ever stumbled on the good ones? And you're just like, if I could, I would just back tru a truck up, and I would just load it and load it and load it because you know it's good stuff and you're taking it away. That's what happened here. Like, wait, we didn't have to fight. Like, they just did the fighting against each other, and now they're dead. And, oh, there's a lot of stuff there. Hey, let's take it all back with us. What do you say? And they start picking it up, and they're like, we can't even carry all this stuff away. It took three days 
to get all the stuff. That's a victory. That's like a Miami Heat victory. No Miami Heat fan here? Okay. I'm not either, but they did dominate. So powerful a victory that it turned the valley into a place of praise. Verse 26 says that that is why it is called the valley of Barakah to this day. And Barakah means praise. I don't know what valley you're in today. I really don't. I mean, your valley could be as simple as I just need some more money. Your valley could be I just lost somebody or something that was valuable to me, somebody I really loved. I don't know where your valley is, but typically when we think of valleys, we don't think of good things, right? We think mountaintops, go camping, hang out. We can see the whole world from here. We can see, like, the clouds. It's awesome. I never want to leave this place. And then we think, go down to the valley. And he changed a valley into praise through this one victory. So here's the application. The problem was that they were under attack. The solution was to take up a position of surrender, and they did that through fasting. And here's the application. Let's see if we can kind of bring this home practically for our church. Because we've got to get out of here before we fall asleep because it's kind of warm in here, isn't it? Do you need to punch the person next to you? Do you need to just breathe? If you breathe on them, they'll probably wake up or go ahead and die. I believe this. I believe, according to Scripture, that we can bank on this. As we seek to advance the kingdom in this city and this county, I can guarantee that we'll face opposition. Why? One, because we read it. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Two, we just read it here. Here's a man trying to do the right thing, trying to to spread. He actually hired people to go throughout the country to share and teach the law of God. And then he gets attacked. I can guarantee you as a church, as we start to try to advance the kingdom here, we'll face opposition. So sometimes, as in the case of Jehoshaphat, it'll catch us completely by surprise. And I think right now, I'm just going to be, as the leader, i got to tell you, that's where we are, you know, with the search for a building for our church. Totally caught off guard. And here's why. Because we really watched literally in a matter of two or three days, we watched a certain yes turn into a certain no. And I can relate to Jehoshaphat going alarmed because I sit at home and go, really? That just happened? Like, I thought that was a done deal. And then, boom, it's not a done deal. That's called a blindside. And it happens all, and you know why it happens? It happens because at some point we stand as a church and say, you know what? We believe that God has an incredible vision for this city, an incredible vision for this county that's larger than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And he will do it. And so sometimes we will face opposition just in things like that. Here's what I believe. I believe that God's calling us to respond to him with a position of total surrender. Total surrender. I believe that we'll learn um, as we go through this Beyond Hunger Games series We're going to learn there's lots of good reasons to fast. There's lots of not so good reasons to fast. But there's only one that matters more than anything else. It will put us in the right position. That's why fasting and prayer and worship go so naturally together. So I can say this. There'll be nights in July, probably nights past July, when we'll just say flat out, hey, you want to come hang out and pray and worship? Come on. 
Because we're going to take up a position of this before God. Because God, there's a vast army out of nowhere against us. And we don't know what to do. And God's going to say to us, hey, guess what? It's my battle, not yours. And we're going to go, that's great, God. So we can just kind of kick back and drink lemonade? Uh, no, that's <laughs> not what he said. He said, it's my battle, not yours. So go take up your positions. Go so I'm calling you to take up your positions. Take up your position of surrender to God. And let's stand firm and see the deliverance of God. We're going to start taking up the position. We're going to take a practical step. Here's one thing we're going to do. This is really cool. Um, let's see. If you're here and you're under the age of 12, stand up. Hey, it's good to see you, see? So we got these awesome children here, and we're going to take up a position. We're going to take up a position that allows us to minister to these children because God has opened the door for us to move, not just move, you guys, you stay right here, but go two doors down, and there's a space that's available right there that we're going to take and use for our children to minister to them. We're going to take up a position in this, in this building, and we're going to say, you know what, God, maybe this isn't just a temporary place right now. Maybe we're going to... You've got us here for a reason, and we don't know what it is. And so we're going to take up a position in this place, and this is going to become our place of worship, of prayer, of fasting. And we're going to say to God, whatever you do, we're just waiting to see what it's going to be. We're going to see how you deliver us and stand firm and see what God can pull off. We're not going to sit back and hope. We're not going to sit back and wait. We're going to do exactly what the Spirit of God told Jehoshaphat to do. Be intentional about seeking the heart of God. Take up a position of surrender and trust and stand firm and see the deliverance of God on our behalf.